man, is he your savior tonight? Is he your healer tonight? Is he your everything? Is he your Jehovah Jireh? That he deserves all the praise and all the glory and all the honor that we can give him tonight. My, my heart was blessed. I sat in the back and Sister Jessica sang, send the rain. Lord, send the rain tonight. Not just tonight, but in each and every heart in the coming days and coming weeks and coming months until, until we're completely ready for the harvest as our desire. Lord, send the rain tonight. Father, as we come before you tonight, Lord, bowing, Lord, our hearts, Lord, in desperate need of you and your anointing, Lord, just asking that you would come and move in a mighty way. Lord, your people, Lord, we are needy people. Lord, we recognize that. But above all that, we recognize that you are the great supplier, Lord. You are the healer, Lord. You are the way maker, Lord. You are the deliverer. Lord, we are here to worship you tonight because you are the king of kings. Lord, I just ask that you'll take control of this service now. Take control of my body, my mouth, Lord, my mind, every aspect, Lord, and speak through me, I pray, Father. Lord, anoint every heart to receive their portion. Now, as we look into your word, I pray you'll bless it. Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. your Bibles, if you will turn with me to the book of Isaiah, 44th chapter and the 28th verse. Once we get going, there are going to be quite a number of scripture readings. I think they sent you a list of scriptures to try to help out, so you may not have the opportunity or time to turn there, but I sent a list, so maybe we'll be able to, to keep up, It'll be a little bit like a Bible study, I guess. We'll see. Isaiah 44 and 28, we're going to read one verse there, and then we're going to look over to Isaiah 45, one verse, and then also another verse in Isaiah 45. So we're going to go. I'd like to speak to you for a little bit this evening on returning to receive, returning to receive. Verse 28, it says, that saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure. Even saying to Jerusalem, thou shalt be built. And to the temple, thy foundation shall be laid. Now over in chapter 45 and verse 1, it says, Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden to subdue nations before him. And I will loose the loins of kings to open before him the two-leaved gates. And the gates shall not be shut. And then we're going to skip down to verse 13. It says, I have raised him up in righteousness and I will direct all his ways. He shall build my city and he shall let go my captives, not for price nor reward, saith the Lord of hosts. Amen. You may have your seats this evening. Tonight for a little bit, what we want to do is we want to take a look at Israel and their captivity in Babylon and the return back to the homeland as it relates to the church down through the ages and her captivity in mystery Babylon. We know that Israel oftentimes is used and is a perfect type of the church. And last week we looked at the effects that Babylon had on Israel during their 70 years of exile and how it had affected them and how it had affected even their thinking. And we saw that how in an attempt to stay true in what was a good attempt in their hearts in an attempt to practice their religion, they began to build synagogues 
and they began to worship and they began to have a, a, it wasn't like the worship they had in Jerusalem, but at least they were doing their best to continue on with the worship as best as they could while they were in that land. And I understand that the issue there wasn't with their worship. Um, Even though they couldn't fully worship, as we would say, in spirit and in truth, because it wasn't the original temple worship. There, even though that, even though they, they couldn't sacrifice in the temple because they were in a strange land and the temple had been destroyed, they were worshiping as best they could with what they had. So they were giving it everything and they were worshiping to the best of their ability. The issue came when there was an opportunity for them to go back. There was nothing wrong with worshiping the way they worshiped as long as that was the best they had. As long as that was all the light that was shining on the word at that time, there was nothing wrong with that worship. But when it came time to move, the issue came when the opportunity to go back to the original was presented to the people. They no longer saw the need to be restored back. They had settled into their religion. They had settled in right where they were. They had grown accustomed to a little bit of Babylon being mixed in with their religion. They, they didn't see the need for an Acts 238 experience anymore. They didn't see the need for an Acts 4 experience. They just believed on the Lord or, or they believed that God sent a prophet and they figured they could stay right where they were and they were going to be okay because they had settled in where they were at. But God had provided a way to go back. And if God says go back, if God says to return, then I want to tell you tonight, you should return. Whatever it is God's telling you to do, wherever he's sending you, wherever he's leading you, even if it doesn't make sense to you, even if it's the harder way, if he says do it, I recommend to you tonight that you do it. If he lays that opportunity before you. Now, now as we looked at this, our opening scripture, our opening scripture to me, they're, they're so amazing in, in, in the fact that it's Isaiah and he's prophesying of one who's going to come, and God is going to use him to return Israel home again. And what you have to realize is, is Isaiah is writing this more than 100 years before Cyrus ever comes to the throne. This is more like 140 years before he ever comes to the throne. This is before he's ever been born or ever even been thought of. And Isaiah writes in 45.1, Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden to subdue nations before him. And I will loose the loins of the kings to open before him the two leave gates and the gates shall not be shut. Verse 13. I have raised him up in righteousness. I will direct all his ways. He shall build my city and he shall let go my captives. Now, as we know, because we read it last week in, in the first chapter of Ezra, in the first year of Cyrus's reign, he does exactly these things. He comes in and he loses them and he begins to fulfill prophecy. Listen, what I want us to get tonight is that God does things the way God wants to do things. Okay, it doesn't have to be how you expect it to be, when you expect it to be, or through the person that you expect it to come through. All right. God is in control no matter what you think tonight. Quit fussing about who the president is. Quit fussing about politics. Quit worrying about this and all the world affairs. They are doing exactly what they are supposed to be doing. They are nothing more than pawns in the hands of God. God chose Cyrus. 
God chose Cyrus. He was a pagan, polytheistic king of Persia who was out to conquer the world. And God says, that's my anointed one. I have raised him up in righteousness. I'm directing all his ways. He's going to build my city. He's going to lose my captives. Cyrus? Cyrus is a murderer. He's killing everybody. He's conquering the world. He's, he's polytheistic. He's a pagan. But in this, God knew who to let come into control because being polytheistic, what Cyrus believed was, as many gods as I can get looking on me favorably, the better. So when he takes over and he's like, wait, they destroyed your temple? We got to fix that. I can't have this God angry with me. I can't have him mad at me. I want my kingdom to prosper. Go back. Go back. Go fix this mess before the God takes out his wrath on me. And so God allows him to come into this place. And, and, and God does it how he wants to do it. Yes. Well, surely some great de- uh, deliverer is going to rise up like Moses did. Surely one of our brethren is going to rise up. Surely one of the priests who used to sacrifice in the original temple. God is going to use him. Nope. Cyrus. God's going to do things the way he wants to do things. These people are going to be delivered the way God wants to deliver them. Listen, in the problems that you're going through, in the situation that you're facing, God is going to deliver you in the way that he wants to deliver you. Don't get it in your mind how it's going to work. All going to work out. Just say, God, I trust you in whichever avenue you open to me. I'm going to take that avenue. Because so many times we get it in our mind how things are going to be, and it causes us to miss what it is we're supposed to receive. Listen, Jesus came the way God wanted him to, not the way they expected him to. And because of this, so many people missed him. So many people couldn't receive him. This message came how God wanted this message to come. Oh, surely it's going to come through some great university, some great organization, some great doctor of divinity. Nope. William Branham. God chose the messenger. God picked who he wanted to deliver it through. And the message was delivered exactly the way God wanted it to be delivered to a people he knew could receive it in that way. Don't listen to it or hear it and go, I wish he'd have said this or I wish he'd have done that. My, why couldn't it have been this way? It came exactly the way God wanted it to come to deliver the people that God wanted to deliver in this last day. God sent the message and it was delivered exactly how he wanted it to be delivered. And it also was foretold, as we know, in Malachi 4, 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Here what we see is uh, prophesied is an opportunity to go back. Just like was given to the children of Israel. An opportunity to return to the original. An opportunity here to return to the land of the word. To return to the faith of the original fathers. Now the church had need to go back because they themselves had found themselves captured and in exile down in Babylon just like Israel had been. The church had started free and full of power right there in Jerusalem. The spirit moved free. They operated according to, to Mark 16, according to John 14, 12, according to James 5. There were no claims on the church such as false doctrines or trinity doctrines or false baptisms. 
The doctrines and the deeds of the Nicolaitans had not yet taken hold. And so this church was free of any claim of the enemy. And they operated in a way where the spirit moved freely. Where the spirit fell on, on people and they received it. And, and we know how it would cause them to act. There was tongues and there was gifts and there was healings. That's how the first church operated. And they were the pattern. They were the original. They are the standard. So many people get uncomfortable when you say that. But the prophet of God said Pentecost was our pattern. No one will have to say but, but what the church was inaugurated on the day of Pentecost. He goes on to say thus. What the church was at Pentecost is the standard. That is the pattern. There is no other pattern. No matter what the scholars say, God has not changed that pattern. What God did at Pentecost, he has to keep on doing until the church ages close. He says the true church will always try to be like the original Pentecost. There's a lot of people that obviously have never read that. The true church will try to be like the original at Pentecost. The true church of today will try to approximate that early first one. Brother Branham here makes it very clear what we are to return to and what we are to act like. What you are to return to and what this church is to be like. But what was it that happened to that church? Why is it that there's a need for a return? Why, why isn't it that it didn't stay right where it was down through the ages? The same thing happened to them that had happened to Israel. They left their first love. They followed after other gods. They began to drift and allow the ideas of man to enter into the church. And these next few quotes all come from, from the Ephesian church age. He says, the fervent desire to please God, the passion to know his word, the cry of reaching out in the spirit, all began to fade. And instead of that church being on fire with the fire of God... It has cooled off and become a bit formal. He says, what can this mean? But the day would come when the vested clergy by political maneuvering and the substitution of word and spirit for creeds and dogmas and human leadership would enslave the laity. Notice the, the wording used there. It would enslave the laity while the leaders luxuriated in ill-gotten wealth. He said, the second generation coming on was just like Israel. They demanded a king to be like other nations. When they did that, they rejected God, but they did it anyway. This is the history of the church. He said they let down the bars and the goats came in and took over. The cry of joy was gone. The freedom of the spirit was gone. Oh, they kept on with the form, but the fire had died down. And the blackness of ashes is about all that is left. He said, but as usual, people don't heed God's warning. That revival fire built upon the sacred word is so wonderful. And the manifestation of the spirit is so blessed that a little fear creeps in and whispers in the heart and says, how can we protect this truth we have? What can we do to see this revival goes on? Now, notice how slick the enemy is. None of this sounds bad at all. I think it's a great idea that we shouldn't let the revival die down. I think it's a great idea to protect the truth. I believe we should fight for the truth. These are all things that seem very reasonable. He says, what can we do to see the revival go on? That is when the Antichrist spirit comes in and whispers, look, 
you have the truth now. See that it doesn't get lost. That's antichrist. You have the word. Make sure it doesn't get lost. Just focus on that part of it. Don't worry about the other aspects that are needed. Just focus on one part. Make sure it don't get lost. Make sure that you, you, get, you get this. And right here is where the exile or the capture takes place. Right here is where the church goes down into Babylon. There, the very moment that that first move of God organized, they were in Babylon. That very moment they were captured. And the devil is so slick that he uses the fear of losing the truth to ensnare you. Think about this. And even as the church begins its journey, even once there was some freedom from Rome, and even as people began to come back to, to the unfolding of the word and their journey from Babylon back to the homeland begins, even as they become back from exile to a restored truth, even as God would send messengers down through the ages, that spirit kept on working to keep people from going all the way back. Oh, sure, yeah, you've come out of Babylon. You broke free from that Roman system, but this is far. Protect this truth you have. Protect this truth right here. Even as they left Rome or, or even as they left Babylon, if he could get them with that same denominational mindset, then he still had a claim on them. He would still have a claim on if he could get the church from being completely free and completely restored. If he could use the fear of losing truth to do it, that's how he would ensnare the people. How do, how do you mean so, Brother Aaron? Look, the revelation of justification was so special. It brought such a freedom. And they said, we, we can't lose this. We can't lose this truth. This is a wonderful truth. It has loosed us from the bounds of, of Catholicism. And yet they walled up so tight around it to protect it that when justification came, they couldn't move on to it. And they had been snared by the truth. No, no, no. The truth liberates you. Not everybody. The truth snares some people. And they're snared by the truth and they can't go on to the next truth. But those who did, those who fought through, they, they, they see a, a true um, um, sanctification and they get the, the, a holy life, a true Bible sanctification and then the restoration of the gifts come but they're so walled up that they can't move on and accept the, the restoration of the gifts and then those see that and it's such a special thing and it's such a powerful thing and they get so walled up that they can't move on to anything other than tongues and they're walled up right there snared by a truth not able to move beyond a truth and they're bound up with the same denominational mindset. God sent a prophet. It's a truth. A truth you must see. And yet they get so walled up with God sent a prophet that they can't even move on into the message that the prophet brought. They're snared by God sent a prophet and they're stuck right there. And they can't even move on into what was opened up to them. So walled up in traditions to where message people have has more traditions than any of the denominations we've ever preached about. Message people are the most traditional people on the face of the earth, I believe. Snared. Not able to move on into the opening of the word because it's just this portion. Or it's just this part. And Babylon still holds a claim on them because they're under the spirit of denomination. It's the same chain that has grabbed a hold of every age. 
to where, as Brother Brown would say, the cry of joy was gone. The freedom of the spirit, gone. Oh, they kept on with a form of godliness. But the fire had died down. And the blackness of ashes is about all that is left. But that's not everybody. There is a people who are determined in their hearts. I'm going all the way back. I'm not going to stop short. They're refusing to stop short of all the way. Because they recognize what all of this has been for. God didn't send a prophet in order to send a prophet. God sent a prophet to gather a bride, to gather an elect, to take them back to the homeland, to take them back to the faith, to put them back in the original place where he started the church. They recognize I can't stop short of that. I can't stop short of that. It's a return to where and how our fathers worshiped the original faith in the homeland of the word. And we refuse to stop anywhere along the journey. Remember, you might come up to something that's very good, say justification. But that's not the stopping point. That's just on the way. Sanctification is wonderful, but it's on the way. The gifts is wonderful, but that's on the way. God sent a prophet. That's wonderful, but it's on the way. You can't stop there. You got to keep going. All the way. All the way back. Jeremiah prophesied they would return back to the land of their fathers, the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In Jeremiah 29.10, he said, For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you in causing you to return to this place. The same thing was prophesied with Malachi concerning the church. Prophesied that one would come and turn our hearts back to the faith or the land of Peter, of Paul, of Stephen. Back to the land of the original. But by, by, but by getting away from their first love, the church found themselves in captivity. Prophets and servants had kept hope alive for a full return to the land. Malachi prophesied. Joel prophesied, I will restore. There were prophets along the way that kept hopes alive that one day we can come out of this. One day we can be returned back. One day. And God sent men down through the ages to keep faith alive that one day would come a full return. Just like he had sent prophets to Babylon to let them know one day there's going to be a return. The church held out hope. The church looked for it. The church longed for it. The church wanted to be free. But then finally the return comes. It's time to go back. Now as we go back and forth through this. Just keep in mind that we may be interchanging Israel and the church. Israel and the church. Because we're dealing with the same thing. The time came to leave Babylon and go back to Jerusalem. The time came to return back to the homeland. To return back to the original faith. The prophet came and said it's time to go back. It's time to rebuild. A prophet comes on the scene with a message from the king. He's declaring Bible truth. Bible doctrines. Return to Pentecost. You must have the token. Only to find that most Christians had no desire to go back. Only to find that most Christians were pretty comfortable in their religion in Babylon. They had settled down to where they were comfortable. They had got comfortable in Babylon. They, they didn't really want Bible holiness. They liked wearing their Babylonian garments. They didn't really want true Bible sanctification. They liked having some of their Babylonian habits. They wanted to say, I'm still saved, but I still want to partake of this, and I still want to wear that. They were comfortable in Babylon. They did not want to return. They wanted a form of godliness. 
That's what they wanted, a form of godliness. They were comfortable with worldly comfort, with worldly entertainment. Most didn't see the need. Why do I need to go back? Why must I do that? They had their religion. They could hold their religion, and they could hold on to the world too. So why do I got to do this? But the king had decreed that we could go back. This is a decree of the king. We can rebuild the temple. We can have the same worship our fathers had. But, but why do I need that? I'm comfortable just coming on Sunday, singing a couple songs. I'm comfortable living the life I'm living. To do this is going to get me out of my comfort zone. Some of us need to get out of our comfort zone. Our comfort zones for a lot of us are leading us to a state of lukewarmness. Right, it's easy to get comfortable and fall asleep. Get uncomfortable. Step out of your comfort zone. Say, God, move in my life. Do whatever you need to do to wake me up, to shake me, to make sure I'm prepared for the return of the king. We have the opportunity to go back to the faith and to the worship that the fathers had. We can rebuild the walls and have the same protection of the word that they had. And just like in Ezra, some came out. You're proof of it. Some came out. Some heard the call, come out of her, my people. And they heard the call and they said, I'm not comfortable here. And some began the journey to go back. And so, some came out. And we know that around 42,000 came out of Babylon around this time. A drop in the bucket. A mere 5 to 10% of those that happened to be in captivity. Why didn't more come out? Why didn't more leave? How could they see the vindication of the prophet night after night after night and see thus saith the Lord night after night, see discernment night after night and never fail and go, I think I'll stay right here in, in, in Babylon. Listen, if 1% of the people that witnessed the ministry of the prophet had come out, there wouldn't be an empty seat in this building. Just the ones that witnessed it in Louisiana. But they witnessed the vindicated power of God and said, I'm comfortable right here with my religion. I don't need to go back to Pentecost. I don't need to return to the original. I don't need to go back and rebuild the temple. I'm good right where I'm at. How could, the, how could they declare Bible days are here again? They declare Bible days are here again. But I'm going to stay right here. Bible days are here. Why are you here and others aren't? Why did you come out? Why did your parents come out? What stirred you? Why are you sitting here tonight returned back? Ezra 1 and 5, this is after the decree where the king says, if any man will go. It says, then rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites with all of them whose spirit God had raised to go up to build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. It's no accident you're here tonight. It's no accident your heart was turned. God moved on your heart. God called you. God said you're going back. He said you're mine. He said you, 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 and he moved on your heart. It's not by accident that they went back. It's no accident your heart has been turned back to the fathers. It's no accident that you want to be completely free of Babylon. It says the spirit of God raised you up. The Spirit of God took you out of Babylon. The Spirit of God placed you where you are tonight. You have been called to go back home. You have been called to go back to the original. 
There was something burning in the hearts of those 42,000. You know what it feels like. There was something burning in their hearts. I can't stay here. I know I have a good life. I know we have some truth. I know we have some church, but I just can't stay here. I got to take another step. I got to go further. I got to go back to the land of the fathers. I got to go back how it was at the original. I want to worship the way they worshiped in the temple. I want it rebuilt. I want it restored. I want to see Jerusalem built back up. I've got to go back. I've got to return. Something burning in their hearts. We've got to get back. We have to go back to the faith of the fathers. There's a work that I have to do. There's a work we have to do. I can't be stopped. I won't be stopped. I won't stop short. Something's driving me back. Something's pushing me, Brother Daryl. I can't stop today. I got to go a little further tomorrow. I can't give up even though others have quit. Even though others have stayed back, I got to go. Others say, I don't need to go. That's okay, but I'm going. I, I I don't see the reason. It's okay. Something within me says, go back. Get back in that place. Rebuild it. Prepare Jerusalem. The return and the rebuilding restored the worship that the fathers had had. Not the version of worship that they had practiced in Babylon. Come on, church. We shouldn't be practicing the same kind of worship they're practicing in Babylon. It should be a different kind of worship. It should be a restored worship. It should be a returned worship. Their hearts were turned to the faith of their fathers by the moving of the spirit. I will restore, saith the Lord. And what's awesome about this is the king begins to give back. This does my heart good, man. All that was stolen through the years of Babylonian captivity. All the years that the church was stuck under Roman rule. All the years that they were stuck there in mystery Babylon. Ezra 1 and 7. Also Cyrus the king brought forth the vessels of the house of the Lord. Which Nebuchadnezzar had brought forth out of Jerusalem. And had put them in the house of his gods. Notice these are things stolen from the original place of worship. For the worship of false gods. And King Cyrus goes, no this don't belong here. This needs to be put back. Even those did Cyrus, king of Persia, bring forth by the hand of Mithridath, the treasurer, and numbered them unto Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. And this is the number of them, 30 chargers of gold, a thousand chargers of silver, nine and 20 knives, 30 basins of gold, silver basins of a second sort, 410, and other vessels, a thousand. All the vessels of gold and silver were 5,400. All these did Sheshbazar bring up with them of the captivity that were brought up from Babylon unto Jerusalem. The king says these things still belong in the house of God. Come on, church. These things still belong. This was taken from the church down in Babylon. These doctrines were robbed from the church when they were down in Babylon. True baptism, put it back. Godhead, put it back. Serpent seed, put it back. Eternal security, put it back. Put them back where they belong. This doesn't belong here. Put it back in the house of God. The supernatural was robbed. Put it back. The gifts have been robbed from the church. Take them back. Put them back in the worship. Back to the original worship. The freedom of worship has been robbed from the people. Give it back. Give them back their worship. Give them back their freedom. Give it back to them. They won't be robbed anymore. This belongs to them. 
Give it back. He says, this doesn't belong to me. This is God's. And the king says, you can have it back tonight. Oh, and this that the canker worm took. And this that the palmer worm took. Here are the gifts of the spirit. Put them back in the worship. These blessings belong to you. And the king decrees, take these things back and put them in the worship where they belong. In order to worship like they did at the original, you're going to need these things. Because if you go back and build a temple and you have all the form of godliness, but you don't have these things, it ain't the original worship. You haven't returned. Hallelujah. And as the work begins and progresses, and there's no way for me to go into the depths of a lot of these things, so we're going to go best we can. Even though they're a small group, even though they're a hated group, even though there's opposition to them on every hand, nobody wants to see this temple rebuilt. Nobody wants to see these walls rebuilt. There's opposition, but the king keeps providing for them. Every step of the way. Ezra 3, 7. They gave money also to the masons and to the carpenters and meat and drink and oil unto them of Zidon and to them of Tyre to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea of Joppa according to the grant that they had of Cyrus, king of Persia. Listen, when you're on this journey, this is the king's journey. And he says, I'm going to provide everything you have need of. You're trying to get back to the original. I'll pay the wages. I'll provide the materials. I'll give you the blessings. I'll give you the faith. I'll give you the strength. I'll give you everything you have need of in this journey. The king is supplying everything you have need of along this journey. You don't got to worry. You ain't going to want. You ain't going to come up short. You're not going to stop. I can't stop. He's pouring strength in. He's pouring faith in. He's pouring overcoming power in. He's giving me everything I need to get all the way back. Abraham says, but God protected them, and they had forgotten it. How quickly our Pentecostal believers are forgetting that you were saved by his grace, filled with his spirit. In this great, tremendous dying time to the church, don't forget that. That God that gives you the Holy Spirit to live by and to make this journey is with you every step of the way. The journey that we're on is a vindicated journey. And it's been vindicated by an edict from the king. And when the king sends you on a mission, he's going to provide you with everything that you have need of to be successful. Because once he signs off on it, it ain't your mission, it's his mission. It's the king's mission with the king's signet. And he don't want it to fail. He's not going to let it fail. But quit listening to the devil. Quit listening to all the naysayers and the, well, you're not going to make it. You just don't have enough. This is the king's work. This is the king's edict. This is the king's return. I can't not make it. The king is walking with me every step of the way, providing for me every step of the way. Everything you have need of, he will supply you right on time. Brother Branham says, and Christ is our variety store. I like that. By one spirit, we're all baptized into one big variety store. Amen. Anything you have need of, he will supply it. 
If I need healing, I'll take it. If I need joy, I'll take it. If I need victory, I'll take it. It's all hanging around in God's big variety store. And, and I am possession, and you have possession of everything in that variety store. When you're baptized with the Holy Ghost, amen? Brother, you talk about elbow room. Let's take over. You need healing? There it is setting for you. Just reach over and get it. You might have to kick over a few things here and there to get it. But what about church order? Just kick some things over and get what you need tonight. We'll stand it back up. We'll put it back in place. He said, if you got to kick some things over to get what you need, just go get it. We need healing. It's setting for you. You might have to kick over a few things to get it, push you a few things to get it, but go ahead and take it. You might have to get a ladder and reach up for it, but God's got a ladder there if you're interested in getting it. Now, see, that's where a lot of people are. They want it. They say they do, but it's just out of reach, and they go, well, I guess I can't have it. They got to kick over a few things. They go, no, 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 that ain't my nature. It's not in my nature to do that. That's why we preach a nature change. Listen, I don't know that it's in anybody's nature to act the way they acted on the day of Pentecost. Nobody just wakes up and just goes stumbling around acting drunk. Why are you doing that? This is just my nature. It's about laying your nature down. It's about saying, whatever I got to do to get it, I'm going to get it. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what anybody calls me. I don't care how I act. I don't care how I look. I don't care if it's completely out of my comfort zone. I'm going to get it. Oh, I need a ladder to get it. Oh, I'm sorry. You're going to have to wait on the ladder. I need it right now. I'm taking the ladder and I'm going to get it. I'm going to do whatever I got to do to get it. It's in the store. It's paid for. Don't walk away because you can't quite reach it. Don't give up. Fight for it tonight. Do whatever you got to do to get it. Even though the majority of folks are staying in Babylon, there's a a drive in these people. We must rebuild Jerusalem. We must rebuild the city. We must rebuild the temple. The wall, it must be rebuilt. There must be a restoration. And with edicts from the king, with everything they need provided by the king, they return. And they begin the work. They begin to rebuild And as they return to the original worship and to the original faith, it could not be mixed with other worships. Excuse me. It couldn't be mixed with the theology of man. It couldn't be polluted with Babylon. It had to be free from denomination. It has to be pure worship as it was at the beginning in spirit and in truth. Ezra 4.1, now when the adversaries, notice this is the key word, the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity builded the temple unto the Lord God of Israel. Then they came to Zerubbabel and to the chief of the fathers and said unto them, let us build with you. Man, awesome. Help. Who doesn't want help? Anybody would like some help. I mean, it would be rude and unchristian-like to turn down their help. Let us build with you, for we seek your God. These people want to be saved. Remember, they're adversaries. 
We seek your God as you do. And we do sacrifice unto him since the days of Esahardon, king of Asher, which brought us up hither. This seems very reasonable. But remember, I'm going to say it again. Adversaries. Sure, Brother Branham, we'll support you. We'll help you. Just back off the women a little bit. Oh, we'd love to be a help to you. We'll, we'll even get behind you and support this campaign. Just quit preaching that serpent seed so much. But we want to help you. We want to get the message out there. We want to serve God just like you. We'll, we'll support this campaign, but make sure you don't you know, preach about the invisible union or anything like that. It couldn't be mixed. The word adversary here means oppress or press someone hard. Prior to the Jews returning from exile, these people had been the rulers and people of the area. And now they are resenting losing the power of the region. They don't want to lose their people. And so they offer a hand. Let me help. But Zerubbabel, verse 3, and Jeshua and the rest of the chief of the fathers of Israel said unto them, You have nothing to do with us to build a house unto our God. But we ourselves together were built unto the Lord God of Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, hath commanded us. The king told us to return. The king commanded us to build a temple. The edict told me to take the land. So the Samaritan's generous offer to help with the construction is actually a very thinly veiled plot to retain control and influence. Because if the Jewish leaders accept their help, then the worship of Yahweh will be corrupted by a mixture with pagan practices. Well, you can't keep us from doing that. We helped you build this. We can sacrifice here too. We helped you build this. And so they say, no, no, no. You'll have no hand in this. It must be a pure, unadulterated word. It must be pure, original faith of the fathers. And when they find here no compromise, when the Samaritans find that that these are going to stay true to the king's command, no matter what the pressure, then instead of offering help, they turn and they begin to try to hinder it. Verse 4, then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And in the reign of Ahasuerus, the beginning of his reign, wrote they unto him an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. So here their stand for truth comes at a cost. One thing you can be sure of is that you're going to face opposition in the return. As you preach a return, you're going to face opposition. When you practice that return, you're going to face mocking and opposition. The enemy who doesn't want to see you back in the homeland is going to oppose you. He doesn't want to deal with the power of God once again in the church. He don't want to deal with the book of Acts church again walking on the face of the earth. He doesn't want the people to return to where they need to be in order to receive the promise. So he mocks and he hinders and he laughs and he raises an opposition in the restoration. And he tries to stop the work because, well, to put it simply, because he knows how to read. Sure he does. He knows what the prophecies say. He knows where Israel's going to be blessed. 
He knows where the fulfillment of prophecy is supposed to take place. He needs them stuck in Babylon. He needs you hanging on to your denominational ideas. He needs them bound by traditions. He doesn't need Jerusalem to be rebuilt. He can't have a people turn back to that original faith. He knows what that original faith did to him when he had to face it 2,000 years ago. He knows what that faith will do. So he tries to hinder. So he fights it. And he discourages it. And he brings false accusations. We're going to skip books here for a minute and go over into Nehemiah. Because they also had made an Ali. And it's all kind of part of the same restoration. The rebuilding of Jerusalem. Nehemiah is more about the building of the wall. Where Ezra is more about the rebuilding of the temple. But in Nehemiah 2.19... It says, but when Sanballat and Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite and Geshem and the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn. You're going back to the original? <laughs> Pentecostal. <laughs> All that jumping shout. <laughs> they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, what is this thing that you do? Will you rebel against the king? Listen, when things began to get brought back to what they once were, those that don't want to see it returned will scoff at it. They will make fun of it because they don't want it to be returned there because they don't want to have to return themselves. So they don't want to see it built up. Nehemiah 4.1. But it came to pass that when Sambalat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth. And took great indignation and mocked the Jews. Nehemiah 6 6, wherein was written, It is reported among the heathen, and Gashmuth saith, that thou and the Jews think to rebel, for which cause thou buildest the wall, that thou mayest be their king according to these words. You know, this struck me. Here is a minister, a prophet, on a mission from the king. Doing what the king has asked him to do, and he's accused of kingdom building. You're building this wall so you can have your own kingdom. You're doing this just to be different so you can rebel against the king. You know why he said that? Anybody that hangs out with Timothy should know. Because he's stupid. He's on a mission doing what the king told him to do. Nehemiah isn't worried about these accusations. He isn't worried about the mocking. He isn't worried about any of this because he has an edict from the king. Go rebuild the wall. The wall must be rebuilt. That's what the king told him to do. Go back to Nehemiah 2 and 7. Moreover, I said unto the king, if it please the king, let letters be given to me to the governors beyond the river that they may convey me over till I come into Judah. And a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace, which appertain to the house and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall enter in. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. It doesn't matter what the critics say. It doesn't matter what the devil says. It doesn't matter what those who don't want to return say. We have the authority of the king to return. He said, go back and take what you need and be successful and overcome and go back to the faith of the fathers and build up that foundation. Go back. We have an edict from the king. The king says, I want it restored. 
I want my church the way she was. Build her back up. I want you to return to the Pentecost of Jerusalem. And I've got a message from the king to prove it. The prophet of God would say the Holy Spirit is in the church to swing the faith back again to the original faith. That's right. For he will turn the hearts of the children back to the fathers. The first time he turned the heart of the fathers to the children. This time the hearts of the children to the fathers. See, taking the faith that the fathers had and placed it over here on the children. The one that's just then coming in. And this time he's going to take the same faith. Because they got away from the original faith. And he's going to turn the faith of the fathers and the children back to the fathers. The Pentecostal fathers. Another Acts 2. That's right. Another one, he says. What is this? This is the king decreeing and writing an edict. You can have exactly what they had on the day of Pentecost. You can have exactly what they had in the book of Acts. The king issued an edict and said, rebuild the wall. Rebuild the temple. Get Jerusalem ready. And Ezra now, having turned down the help of the hybridized religion, now faces their attacks as they try to hinder And Cyrus is no longer on the throne, and for a time a new king is ruling, and they begin to write letters unto him, negative letters. And we have a lot of scriptures to read as we go, so I hope that's okay. Ezra 4.12, be it known unto the king that the Jews which came up from thee to us are come unto Jerusalem, building the the rebellious and the bad city, and have set up the walls thereof, and joined the foundations. Be it known now unto the king that if this city be building and the walls set up again, then will they not pay toll, tributes, and customs. And so thou shalt and damage the revenue of the kings. Verse 15. He tells them, That search may be made in the book of the records of thy fathers. They say, go back and look in the records of your fathers and see if it's not true that these people are rebellious people. That they're going to cause trouble for you. It says, search in the book of the records of thy father so that thou find in the book of the records and know that this city is a rebellious city and hurtful unto kings and provinces and that they have moved sedition within the same of old time for which cause was this city destroyed. They tell the king that if this work continues, these people are going to cause trouble. Yes, Lord. These people are going to cause trouble. Look in the records and see if they weren't once rebellious. Look in the records and see if they weren't sinners. Look in the records and see if they haven't failed time and time again. Look at their past. Look at their past. Now they claim to be free. Now they claim to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. King, search it out. Who are they to rebuild anything? This is the same church that fell away and caused all the trouble. And for a time it works. For a time, it causes the work on the temple to cease as a search is made. And listen, all the things they said were true. I was a failure. I was a sinner. I did horrible things. All those things are 100% true. But that fact didn't change the truth of the matter that the king has given an edict. The king said I can go free. The king said that I could have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The king said that my sins would be forgotten. There was an edict that the king said I didn't have to live under that condemnation anymore. But as the king searches and he finds that some of these things are, are true, 
Sure, the church had fallen. Yes, the, the church of the ages had failed. Pentecost had failed. Worship wasn't being done in spirit, in spirit and truth. But that didn't stop the fact that the king had written an edict and said, restore. I will restore. Build it back up. Build the temple. The king said, you're forgiven. None of that changed that. The king said, you can have whatever you need to finish the job. And so we moved to Ezra 5 and 1. And in this time, what God does in, in, in the time of trouble is he raises up a prophet. And he raises up a prophet and said, so then the prophets Haggai and the prophet, the prophet and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, even unto them. Then rose up Zerubbabel, the son of Shittiel, and Joshua, the son of Josadak, and began to build the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. And with them were the prophets of God helping them. In response to the enemy trying to stop the restoration, God raises up a prophet. Just when it seems like all denominations have failed, God raises up a prophet. Just when it seems like we can't go forward, God raises up a prophet and these people take the message and they continue building. They take the message of the prophet and they are encouraged and they continue to build. They said, listen, we didn't come back here to worship like we're in Babylon. We didn't come back here to live a denominational life. We didn't come back here to stop short. We came back here to finish the job. We came back here to go all the way. We came back to restore worship in the faith of the original fathers. We didn't come back to settle for what they got in Babylon. I haven't come this far to stop short. I'm going all the way back. And I'm going to restore what God said to restore. Rebuild, rebuild, rebuild. It didn't matter what the critics said. We're going back to Pentecost. Ooh, devil didn't like that one. So once again, he raises up naysayers. says, who do you think you are? Chapter 5, verse 3. At the same time came to them Tatnai, governor of this side of the river, and Shethar Bosnai and their companions, and said thus unto them, Who hath commanded you to build this house and to make up this wall? And once again, they write to the king a negative report. This will be a rather long reading. Stick with me. Ezra 5 and 8. Be it known unto the king that we went into the province of Judea, to the house of the great God, which is builded with great stones and timber is laid in the walls. And this work goeth fast on. Hallelujah. And prospereth in their hands. Then ask we those elders and said unto them, who commanded you to build this house and to make up these walls? We ask their names also to certify thee that we might write the names of the men and were the chief of them. The men that were the chief of them. And thus they returned us answer saying, we are the servants of the God of heaven and earth and build the house that was builded these many years ago, which a great king of Israel builded and set up. But after that, our fathers had provoked the God of heaven under wrath and he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the Chaldean who destroyed this house and carried the people away into Babylon. But in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Babylon, the same king Cyrus made a decree to build this house of God. And the vessels also of gold and silver of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple that was in Jerusalem and brought them into the temple of Babylon. Those did Cyrus the king take out of the temple of Babylon 
And they were delivered unto one whose name was Shesbazar, whom he had made governor. And said unto him, take these vessels, go, carry them into the temple that is in Jerusalem, and let the house of God be builded in this place. Then came the same Shesbazar and laid the foundation of the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. And since that time, even until now, hath it been in building, and yet it is not finished. Now, therefore, if it seem good to the king, let there be a search made in the king's treasure house, which is there at Babylon, whether it be so that a decree was made of Cyrus, the king, to build the house of God at Jerusalem and let the king send his pleasure to us concerning the matter. I would like you to search the records, O king, to see if these people really are supposed to return to Pentecost. I'd like you to go through the scriptures and see if that's really what these people are supposed to do. Trying to restore this worship, trying to restore this and build this back up. I'd like you to look and see if they really have a right to do this. Verse 6. Then Darius the king made a decree and a search was made in the house of the rolls where the treasures were laid up in Babylon. And there was found at Akmetha in the palace that is in the province of the Medes a roll. And therein was a record thus written. In the first year of Cyrus the king, the same Cyrus the king made a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Let the house be builded. The place where they offered sacrifices and let the foundation thereof be laid. And the height thereof three score cubits and the breadth thereof three score cubits. With three rows of great stones and a row of new timber. And let the expenses be given out of the king's house. I'm going to pay for it. I'm going to give it to them. I'm going to restore. They ain't going to have to do nothing. The king's going to provide. Amen. It's in the king's record. It's in the king's record. You have every right. It's in the king's records. Hallelujah. And also let the golden and silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took forth out of the temple, which is at Jerusalem and brought unto Babylon, be restored and brought again unto the temple, which is at Jerusalem, every one to his place. Those things are supposed to be there. It's their place. And place them in the house of God. Now, therefore, Tatnai, the governor beyond the river, Shethbazun, I don't, I ain't gonna try that one again. And your companions, which are beyond the river, be ye far from thence. Get away from these people. Leave these people alone. They're doing the king's work. Let the work of this house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews build this house of God in his place. Moreover, I make a decree. What you shall do to the elders of these Jews for the building of this house of God, that of the king's goods, even of the tribute beyond the river, forthwith expenses be given unto these men, that they be not hindered. Pay them wages. <laughs> Pay them to do this. And that which they have need of, both young bullocks and rams and lambs for the burnt offerings of God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, and oil, according to the appointment of the priests which are at Jerusalem, let it be given them day by day without fail. Lord, I need you today. Here's some. I need you day by day, day by day, day by day, without fail. He'll give you what you need every day as you return without fail. He won't fail you, but he's giving you a little today, a little tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. He's going to supply your every need. Hallelujah. Without fail. Hallelujah. Bless
Blessed be the name of the Lord. Without fail. Without fail. His God ain't going to leave you here. His God ain't going to fail you. What do you have need of? He will supply it without fail. Hallelujah, hallelujah. That they may offer sacrifices of sweet savors unto the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and of his sons. Also, I've made a decree. I'm going to let y'all be seated for this minute. I'm sorry. I'm trying so hard. That whosoever shall alter this word, let timber be pulled down from his house and be set up and let him be hanged thereon and let his house be made a dunghill for this. And the God that hath caused his name to dwell there, destroy all kings and people that shall put to their hand to alter and to destroy this house of God, which is at Jerusalem. I, Darius, have made a decree. Let it be done with speed. You want to stop this restoration? You want to stop this move of God? You want to stop the restoration of the bride? You can't do it. It's the king's work. It's the king's edict. He has declared that we can restore, that we can return, that we can go back. If you got a problem with it, take it up with the king. Let's do a search of the records tonight. Let's look through the records tonight. Oh, you shouldn't be dancing in the church. Who gave you the right to do that? Well, I say let there be a search made. I say let there be a search made. Psalms 149 and 1. Praise ye the Lord. Sing unto the Lord a new song and his praise in the congregation of saints. Let Israel rejoice in him that made him. Let the children of Zion be joyful their king. Let them praise his name in the dance. It's in the records. It's in the records. You have a right to it. and three praise him with the sound of the trumpet praise him with the sultry and the harp praise him with the timbrel and the dance it's in the records any man alter this word let their house be torn down and set up and them hanged on and their house be made a dunghill they have a right to it well we aren't Pentecostals we don't need all those tongues and dreams and gifts I say just that let's take it to the king let there be a search made let there be a search made Joel 2 and 28 and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pull out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions Mark 16 17 and these signs shall follow them that believe in my name shall they cast out devils they shall speak with new tongues it's in the records it's written in the records you have a right to it well, we don't believe in divine healing, healing anymore. Well, according to the king's edict, you're about to be really disappointed. Because if you'll go over here and search the records and go to James 5, 13, it says, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven of him. It's in the records. It's an edict. 
You have a right to worship. You have a right to praise. You've got a right to the Holy Ghost. You've got a right to healing. Take your hearts off the willow tree. Take your hearts off the willow tree. Play it. Sing. Worship. Dance. Praise. You have a right. Give him everything. It's in the record. Hallelujah. You can worship freely. You can have the power of God in your life. You can have the Holy Ghost. You can have joy. You can be healed. It's all in the record. The king said, give it to them day by day without fail. Now, Father dear, Brother Brown's praying. I'm going to let you sit down one more time. Lord gave me this. I want to finish it. Y'all forgive me. Father dear, we sometimes, we get happy. And we just really act like a bunch of children. Guilty. But it's because we're free. We're not under the bondage of evil or traditions or any certain thing of the elders. We're just free in the Holy Spirit. And we can sing and worship you and fellowship around the word and enjoy ourselves to that we might praise the almighty God. Oh, after seeing all the chaos of formal religions and all the kinds of idol worship and to think that you were so good to me that let you let me know you in the power of your resurrection and to be able to tell others about it. We're so happy. This is the king's commission. This isn't by man. This is mandated by the king. I'm going to skip a few things to get to this ending. There may be few helping and many opposing, but tonight the battle is the Lord's. It's the king's edict. He said, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. This was actually a prophecy to Zerubbabel as he's trying to get this done. He sees himself surrounded. He said... This ain't going to be done by power or might. It's going to be done by my spirit. The original worship is going to be returned by my spirit. And then Brother Brown comes along and says, the bride won't be put in her place by military force, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. The bride's going to be placed back in the original by his spirit. Now, not everyone returned. Only the ones that God had moved upon their hearts. But the ones who returned came back because they wanted to worship Jehovah. And they wanted to be where God had called them to be. They had to be where God had called them to be. There was something moving them back. Something calling, come out of her, my people. Something turning their hearts back. What was it? Because even just like today, something's drawing them back. They take their Elias. What is it? They got to be in the homeland for something. What is it? Why do we got to go back? Why do we have to go back? Israel had to be established. The Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. Micah 5, 2. But thou Bethlehem, Euphrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, that is to be the ruler in Israel, 
whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. You see right here that Israel had to be established. It had to be there. Bethlehem had to be there. Israel had to be in her homeland. Jerusalem had to be rebuilt. There was a promised Messiah to come there. Zechariah 9, 9, rejoice greatly, O daughters of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. They had to return in order to receive. They had to be where he was going to come to. Prophecy had to be fulfilled. And even if they didn't know why, they were driven. They had a will to work. They had a mind to work. They had to be there. Things had to be ready. They built a wall in just a matter of days. They worked. They worked. Opposition came. They worked. Why? I don't know. We're driven. We got to get back. We got to get back to the original. We got to get the faith restored. Something has to be. And they worked and they built and they tried to get back to what the original was. But when they got it all laid out. In Ezra 3 and 12, it says, Many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers who were ancient men that had seen the first temple, when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, they wept with a loud voice. They felt like they had failed. They felt like it didn't compare. They felt like they had fallen short. Haggai 2, 2 and 1. In the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shetiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? It doesn't even compare. We work so hard. We're still standing. We're still fighting. We tried to get back to the original. We tried to be just like that first stage. We tried to get the foundation exactly how it was. But it didn't have the ark in it. It didn't have the Urim and Thummim. It didn't have the fire that fell and filled the temple. And so they're looking at it going, what have we done? Yet now be strong. He turns and he begins to encourage. O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. And be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work. For I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I co covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth with you. Fear not. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations and the desire of all the nations shall come and I will fill this house with glory, say the Lord of hosts. What's he saying to him? It's just a little while and you're going to have the Messiah here. Just a little while and the Messiah is going to be here and he's going to shake the nations He's going to be the desire of the nations just a little while. And the Messiah is going to be here. Verse 8. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. In other words, don't be concerned that this temple don't have silver and gold. That all belongs to me anyway. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former, saith the Lord. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Don't be concerned about the silver and gold. 
But this house is going to exceed the first house because the presence of the very Messiah is going to walk in this house. The Messiah is going to be dedicated in this temple. The Messiah is going to teach in this temple. The Messiah is going to drive out the money changers in this temple. His presence is going to be the glory of it. It's going to be his coming that is the glory of it. The temple had to be restored. The rebuilding of Jerusalem was for the coming of the king. And we look around and we get discouraged. Sometimes he deserves so much better. My, that apostolic age. My, look at what they had. My, they were better. They were rugged. They were men of faith. I don't measure up. Lord, we've tried so hard. We've battled so hard. We're still standing here, Lord. And maybe like them, tears come into the eyes when we look at what we've done and we think, it's not enough. It doesn't compare. And the Lord says, fear not. My spirit remaineth with you. It's my decree. It's my edict. It's my message. I said I would have a church without spot or wrinkle. The glory of this church, the glory of this people will be greater than that of the former because of the coming of the Lord and this people's life. The glory of the Lord will be greater in this people because your crowning glory will be a body change. It'll be a rapture. The crowning glory. The reason we've returned. The reason they went back. The reason they had to be in Jerusalem is that's where the Messiah was coming. The reason we've gone back. The reason we couldn't stay in Babylon is this is where the Messiah is coming. He's coming back to the original. This is where we have to be. We have to go all the way back because that's where he's promised to return to. That's what was driving them. That's why they had to go back. That's why you're here tonight. The Messiah's coming. The Messiah's coming. Prepare, build up, restore, get back to the faith of the fathers. The Messiah's coming and the glory of this people will be greater than that of every other age because you will be crowned with the very presence of the return of King Jesus in this day. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The King is coming back for a people who have returned and I have returned to receive him. Will you stand together with me tonight? Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Return back. Receive him tonight. Receive what you have need of. The problem with staying in Bethlehem is the Messiah wasn't promised in Bethlehem, excuse me, in Babylon. The problem with staying in Babylon is the Messiah wasn't promised in Babylon. He was promised in Israel. He was promised in Bethlehem. He was promised to ride in Jerusalem. And you're not going to see him in Babylon. The city had to be rebuilt for the prophecy to be fulfilled. They had to make the city ready. They had to make the temple ready. The bride had to be restored. The restoration of the bride tree. Oh, come on. It started in Jerusalem for them and for us. That's where it started. The original seed, the original worship, the original Pentecost. And that is what we've been restored to. The rebuilding of Jerusalem.
the new Jerusalem, the bride. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready. She's returned. She's been restored. She's built back up. She's back where she's supposed to be. And the marriage of the lamb has come. Can we give praise to God tonight? Can we give him thanks tonight for letting us see, for putting that drive in our heart, for putting edicts, for keeping records, for saying day by day by day by day, I'll give you exactly what you have need of. Listen, whatever you have need of tonight, the king says, you can have it. It's in the records. There's an edict. You can have your healing. You can have the Holy Ghost. Whatever you have need of, whatever you have need to make it, he's already provided it. He's already given it to you. Just go back. Don't stop for nothing. Don't stop along the way. Don't worry about the opposition. Don't worry about any of that. Point them back to the records. I have a right, and I've got to get back there. I got to prepare the city. I got to make myself ready. I got to be where he promised to return. How many is going back home? How many is going to return? Sing it for us, brother. Oh, I'm going to receive whatever you 